Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Welcome to episode 37. We're talking about the final beast empire today. And mainly we're focusing on what I think it is based on a lot of, uh, well, what you're going to hear. Uh, And so, yes, so that's what we're talking about today. I had actually recorded most of this episode a few weeks ago and then got interrupted and had to come back to it and lost everything. So I'm having to start over, which is frustrating because I've been busy and there hasn't been a lot of time I've been able to, you know, to do this. Uh, So um, here I am back again. That is again for me, but for you, it's episode 37. So since it's being recorded, uh, I guess it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I kind of got, uh, I guess, pulled into in a sense. But I think this is a good thing to, to discuss. There's a documentary out called The Sound of, not a documentary, a, a movie called The Sound of Freedom that's a huge hit right now. And. I, it popped up on my YouTube, uh, you know, or people talking about it on podcasts or what have you. I don't remember where I heard it. I think it was on YouTube and it just started popping up and I'd never heard about it before. And I think it had been out for a few days, uh, uh by the time I heard about it and it was already like number one. And, um, and I heard people reviewing it and talking about how, the liberal media, Rolling Stone, uh, and and others have been ridiculing this movie. Um, and, and emotionally, I got into it. And uh, I wanted to discuss this for a second because I think this is, you know, after thinking about it, well, let me, let me talk about it for a second. So The Sound of Freedom is about uh, a man, and I forget the man's name, uh, that rescued, he worked in the CIA and rescued kids out of pedophile rings. And Jim, Jim Caviezel plays this man. It's based on a true story. And, uh, for some reason, the left media is, is kind of poo-pooing this and, uh, this movie or, or, or ridicule, criticizing it. And I've seen a lot of people uh, I guess you could say on the right. And if you know me, I'm not, I I've departed from the false left, right paradigm. So, but, but I heard some people that I'd never heard of before, (coughs) excuse me, reviewing this movie and talking about how some of these people like Rolling Stone, uh, praised a movie by Netflix called are on Netflix called Cuties, which is, you know, pretty sick. Uh, it's like 
kids dancing for TikTok. You know, it, it's it's like anyway. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's it's not a good thing. And how they would praise that one and ridicule this one. And I started thinking about other things like a recent LGBT protest I saw on YouTube. But, I mean, the part of it was blurred out. But there was a man that was a grown man, probably in his 40s, 50s, 60s. I don't know how old. I think he was older than me. So I'll just say 60s. Dancing completely nude. And there were little kids standing on the sidewalk, like with all the other protesters, and they were cheering. And this is the kind of stuff that's happening today, right? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's really sick. And um, my emotional uh, reaction to this was, why are they, you know, criticizing this movie? I didn't know much about it. <laughs> but I heard what the topic was and I'm like, Oh, that seems like a good cause, you know? And, um, as it turns out, there is, I don't know about the, the, the man that is being portrayed in the movie, but I do know that Jim Caviezel has openly s supported QAnon and, and has openly stated how Trump is the, is, is Moses and he's going, you know, we need to, him to win the election to save our, save the world and all this stuff. And if you go to On Point Preparedness, he's done some good, you know, I, I, I found his videos on it shortly after. And he had a really good perspective. And he said, maybe this is all part of the deception. Meaning that, yes, it is so evil that, you know, they're, they're letting it out. They're showing us what's happening, basically. And the hero is going to be a, you know, the, perhaps the person that stops all this stuff. Uh, well, let me, before I get to that, let me just say, um, part of the temptation here, because the guy that uh, is, was in the CIA um, was a Mormon or is a Mormon. Jim Caviezel's Catholic, right? Now that doesn't make them, well, let me just say, that doesn't make them part of the elite necessarily, but in a sense, they are deceived already. Um, and the fact that Caviezel's pushing for Trump to be our savior as opposed to Christ, you know, is kind of uh, worrisome. Um, Anyway, and, and part of the deception is that things are so bad on the left that everybody's going to say, well, the right is going to save us. Um, it's kind of been back and forth that way for a long time. Um, but, oh, oh, that's the other thing. So the same studio, uh, the studio that did this is little lights or light what was it uh something light studios the same people that did jesus revolution and the chosen and uh you know there's been some questionable things about those and i i talked about the jesus revolution before um and apparently the studio is a mormon 
studio as well. And there are subtle hints. You know, it's so subtle because, like, on the one hand, it's it's not... It, it hasn't been anything blatant enough for it to be, you know, in, in none of those three, none of it is blatant enough for it to be, like, heretical yet. But there's been some subtle clues, like the guy that Dallas Jenkins, who's directing The Chosen, said that Mormons are his brothers and sisters and that they're saved. And uh, that's that's not a good thing. Um if he is uh, a true believer and to say that I think is not good <sighs> sorry I'm kind of going in circles there but um, you know perhaps there's like this subtle oh and then the other thing about the chosen was this uh, gay flag LGBT flag uh, that was caught on a behind-the-scenes camera right and it's possible that, you know, all this stuff is so subtle that people think, oh, it's no big deal. Um, but you, if you understand subliminal messaging, which is a real thing, I mean, Hollywood is, has been doing this for a long time. Disney has been doing this for a long time and things like that, right? If you, some of you might recall that back in the 90s, there was subliminal things in Disney movies for kids, like cartoons, where the word sex would flash on the screen. Or, uh, anyway, um, just things like that. So, now, so I mentioned the flag. I mentioned Dallas Jenkins stating uh, that Mormons are his brothers and sisters in Christ. But, he, you know, he's been smart enough because he knows that if he comes out and supports LGBT or if he comes out and uh, that there's certain things that he knows he couldn't get away with, right? And I'm curious to see where the Chosen goes in terms of the resurrection, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ and, and how they're going to present that. But the other thing is the same man that played Jesus, plays Jesus in The Chosen, also played a character in Jesus Revolution, and I forget the guy's name, back in the Jesus uh, people movement, the hippie Christians in the 70s, um, that struggled with homosexuality in the 80s. Now, the real guy repented of that before he died, according to uh, close friends around him, and... Uh, you know, he, you know, so, you know, again, I don't know him, but what people, but what people are going to do is they're going to see, oh, see the guy that plays Jesus also plays this guy that, that was gay. And then, you know, and there could be some subtle things there that people will look at, um, that could be dangerous. Now it's not going to affect mature Christians that know their scripture, they may still be able to overlook all that and say, yeah, I still like the movies and The Chosen so far is good and all this stuff. And it's it's really the thing surrounding it that's kind of subtle in here. The people surrounding these things and, and who is involved with that studio and everything. So, 
Um, I have not seen Sound of Freedom yet. I might go see it. But, um, again, it's part of... One thing I did notice is that a lot of the people supporting it or pushing for it are like Fox News and uh, conservative podcasts and things, which to me um, is is a little bit of a red flag there uh, when it becomes a left-right issue because that tells me that they're trying to do something with it. There, there's an agenda on this, you know, uh, to make it a left-right paradigm thing. Um, but On Point Preparedness, go check him out. Um, he's done some videos on this, and I think he, he probably does a better job than I've done on this. But, um, yeah, it, it, I think deception is getting more and more complex. It's not... One thing Satan wants to do is that things are not just black and white. Uh, I mean, yes, there is a right and wrong, according to God. But what I'm saying is Satan will take some good things and say, okay, he's going to use his people to stop pedophilia, perhaps, you know, or at least give the impression of that. And, you know... it, okay, it's kind of like Satanism and Luciferianism, right? Satanists will wear all black. They'll be wearing tattoos. They'll be out in the woods, maybe doing child sacrifices, or if not children, they're sacrificing animals or whatever. And then there's the Luciferians that are clean-cut, uh, suit-and-tie politicians. They, you know, whatever. So, you know, it's like dark magic, light magic. And, and in reality, it's all evil right so that that's just some thoughts on on that film that just came out and i almost got caught i was kind of caught up emotionally in that thinking man it's just so disgusting uh, and it's true you know it's it, it is disgusting how first of all they're pushing the gender thing on kids and schools um rolling stone would push uh and support uh, the cuties and um, criticize this movie that's freeing pedophiles and it you know what it makes you sick you know it it, it does um, but I think that the this false left-right paradigm and the emotionalism of it is part of what they're trying to do to us and so we need to be alert you know not be deceived read our scriptures, pray, you know, stay, endure till the end. Um, because things are getting pretty crazy out there. Um, and you know, I, I do believe that there's pedophiles out there. I do believe that it's a high level thing that's going on. And I hope that a lot of these kids, if I hope that all of them get rescued, unfortunately, um, I'm not sure that all of them will be rescued until Christ returns. Um, and uh, so I have this image of when Christ returns that a lot of the people and pedophile rings will be set free and a lot of slaves and a lot of victims of abuse and, and all this stuff. It'll be, uh, you know, and, and you know, if, if for any anyone that gets rescued now is a good thing, obviously. And I hope 
I hope uh, for the best. Um, I'm just saying that it's going. The corruption is going to be. Satan is the god of this world until Christ returns. Is all I'm saying there. All right. I'll just. Uh, I'll. I'll end that thought and go on to the topic at hand. Now, if you recall, in the last episode, we were looking at Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, and we, were, we ended with the final uh, empire of the earth, or the, you know, in, the, uh, in Daniel 2, it was the feet of iron mingled with clay, and the ten toes, and at the days of those kings, cry, uh, the Son of Man or a stone would come and break the whole statue into pieces, right? And then you have the four beasts, and the final beast is the ten-horned beast that tramples the whole world under its feet. And then the Son of Man returns and destroys all the kingdoms. Uh, although the other three will exist for a time, is what it says. So it's only the ten-horned kingdom that is completely destroyed when Christ returns. Um, but what, what we want to do now is focus on this final kingdom. And I told you uh, this episode, uh, I told you in the last episode that in this episode we will talk about what I think it is. I gave some theories on it in the last episode if you want to go back and, and, and listen. Um, but I'm convinced that the final, I tell you what, I'll leave this under sus suspense. I think you may have heard it already. But we're going to listen to some clips here from a documentary series uh, called The Secret Mysteries of America's Beginnings. Throughout recorded history, mankind has dreamt of building the perfect society, an empire that might somehow satisfy the needs of every man. An ancient legend cast the shadows of one such society that is said to have existed long ago. 2,500 years ago, the Greek philosopher Plato set down a dialogue called the Critias. He recounted the story of an ancient Greek poet and statesman named Solon. Solon had journeyed to Egypt in search of wisdom to help the government of his beloved Greece. The Greeks had been beset with factions and troubles so Solon took counsel from the priests of the city of Sais. An old priest told him, Oh Solon, Solon, you Greeks are never anything but children. There is no old opinion handed down among you, nor any science that is white with age. The old priest then proceeded to tell him the story of the lost city of Atlantis. In the centuries that would follow, scholars and researchers have debated whether Plato's Atlantis was intended to be an account of real history or simply an allegorical myth. Some even suggest that Atlantis was really the antediluvian world, the wicked society destroyed by the wrath of God great flood of Noah. In the 20th century, Plato's account was further supported by Masonic philosopher Manly P. Hall, 
Hall claimed that Atlantis had once been a vast and mighty empire that extended to the whole world, a philosophic commonwealth of nations that one day was destined to be rebuilt. But who would rebuild it? And exactly who was Manly P. Hall? Manly P. Hall was probably the most highly esteemed occultist and Freemason of the 20th century. Uh, he uh, understood the secrets of the ages long before he ever joined the Masons. Was really the foremost authority on the occultist side of Freemasonry, the deep, dark uh, side of Freemasonry, the one that most Masons never ascend to. I can't really think of anybody close to him. Manny P. Hall was the, the, one of the leading uh, people within this whole other world that we talk about. Hall authored over 200 books and is said to have given some 8,000 lectures on ancient philosophy. He is perhaps most remembered for his contribution to the mysterious brotherhood of masonry. Upon his death in 1990, the Scottish Rite Journal, a Masonic publication, noted that he was often called, quote, masonry's greatest philosopher. Among his teachings was that contained in masonry and all the secret orders was the ancient wisdom of lost Atlantis. Hall wrote that for more than 3,000 years, secret societies had been laboring to create a background of knowledge necessary to the establishment of an enlightened democracy among the nations of the world. According to Hall, these societies could be traced back to ancient Egypt and had for centuries known of a secret place hidden from the eyes of common men, a place that would one day be revealed. In the 17th century, as settlers were colonizing the New World, Sir Francis Bacon, the leader of secret societies in England, set down his classic work, The New Atlantis. While archaeologists and treasure hunters have searched the globe looking for the lost continent, 400 years ago, Bacon, like many of his contemporaries, believed that Atlantis was America itself. Well, Bacon, to me, was really uh, fundamental uh, in, in the American colonizational scheme and its connection to the, the new Atlantis concept. He was trying to lay a foundation for uh, what could be accomplished uh, in the new world. While the Atlantis of Plato was a mighty empire known for the philosophy of its kings, Bacon would write of a nation governed by scientific achievement, filled with marvels and wonders never before seen. Bacon was talking about this new nation, talking about submarines, talking about unimaginable weapons of war, talking about flying machines and tall buildings. I, how did he come into possession of this knowledge? Did Francis Bacon outline the course of the new world before its time? And if so, by what power was he inspired to do so? While there are no states or cities that bear his name, his mysterious influence has compelled some to call him the real and true founder of America. His founding of America was really through other people who were following his work, following the program he'd laid out. Bacon was the head of Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism. He had a huge influence through being the chief of the Rosicrucian fraternity at the time. He had huge influence on the birth of modern Freemasonry. And many of those Rosicrucians actually 
went into Freemasonry at that time to lift it up to its its new level. And Freemasonry has a major influence on the founding of America. While many of the early settlers came to work the land for the cause of religious freedom, there were with them secret societies who came to the New World with another agenda. Secret societies came to America shortly after the pilgrims arrived and they were sent by a man named Sir Francis Bacon. You get this, this very strange mixture of people, many of whom understood even then the advantage, spiritually and otherwise, to having secret orders Unless you understand the influence of the occult societies uh, on the development of America, on the establishment of America, upon the course of America, why you get completely lost studying our history. And they were the ones through which this work was being put into operation in England, in Europe, and eventually in America and the world. So that America then could be used to lead the world uh, into the philosophic empire. You understand that America was founded by Christians as a Christian nation. However, there were always those people on the other side who wanted to use America, use our military power and our financial power to establish enlightened democracies throughout the world and restore lost Atlantis. Yeah, maybe Bacon had it right. Maybe uh, Atlantis is not something yet to occur, but maybe it's occurring right now in America. In his lifetime, Sir Francis Bacon referred to himself as the herald of a new age. He promoted a new universal order for the whole world. Can this be what early American founders referred to with the words Novus Ordo Seclorum, the new order of the ages? And does this vision affect America today? When our founders declared a new order of the ages, they were acting on an ancient hope that is meant to be fulfilled. As America marches forward, spreading democracy throughout the globe, is she merely promoting freedom or fulfilling an ancient plan? Is she following a course planned for centuries by men who believe she is chosen for a secret destiny? To understand the present, and possibly the future, we look into the past as we unfold the secret mysteries of America's beginnings. Can America be the new Atlantis? The movie National Treasure revealed to many the role of Freemasons in the founding of America. Often seen as a shadowy organization with hidden agendas, Masonry was portrayed in a positive light. Was this coincidence, or could there have been something behind it? I think there's probably a little something behind it. The Freemasons among our founding fathers left us clues like these. The unfinished pyramid, the all-seeing eye. They're speaking to us through these. Well, the movie National Treasure is probably the first film in many years that has, has given a positive spin to the Masonic Lodge. Uh, and, and essentially it seems to have been at least partially designed as kind of a propaganda piece for them. They were basically trying to say that this, these people who have hidden 
this secret knowledge of whatever it was, the, the gold stash or whatever, are ba the Masons are basically good guys. Because it makes them appear to be this sort of benign, shadowy group that's in the background protecting these important ancient secrets and also protecting this great massive treasure. It was, it was fairly accurate in its Masonic elements. You can tell whoever made the film either, either was a Mason, and of course there's a lot of Masons in Hollywood, uh, or else had done a lot of research. Screenwriter Jim Kauf, who developed the storyline for Disney Pictures, claims no Masonic connection, yet some researchers are not convinced. Masons were involved in the writing of that, it seems to me, because then they tried to turn it around and you know, say that this uh, that Freemasonry is a good thing, that it has these hidden secrets deep within it, and that someday will be revealed and you know, bring good things to America, etc. Yet did the filmmakers accurately portray the real secrets of masonry? The thing I think that's unfortunate about the movie is other than it kind of glamorizes the masons, is that it makes it sound like the treasure of masonry is monetary. That it's this enormous cachet of wealth and gold and jewels and urns and statues and whatever. And really that's not what the treasure of masonry is. Uh, the treasure of masonry is esoteric wisdom. It is, and it is what Masons believe, it is the secret of eternal life and immortality. Uh, and that's an entirely different thing. Conspiracy theorists have suggested that the film was intended to mislead. But the question remains, if Masons were involved in the making of the film, what would motivate them to tell a story about a society sworn to secrecy? I think Masons have been pretty desperate over the last uh, couple decades. They've taken a lot of hits, due uh, in at least part to my books, and their uh, membership is declining fast. Men love secrets, and that's just a basic truism. And so if they advertise that through a popular movie, uh, you know, maybe it would generate a little more interest. On one level, uh, the film, I think it does some good in that it does educate people about the origins of our country and the fact that the origins of our country was very much steeped in masonry. But on the other hand, I think it misleads about the benign nature of masonry's involvement. Uh, and also it misleads by defining the, the nature of what masonry has been guarding for the last 3,000 years. But what has Masonry been guarding for the last 3,000 years? The real history of the craft, as it is called, varies from one source to another and is a continued thorn of controversy. Masons claim biblical origins dating back to Tubal-Cain, the first craftsman, as well as Nimrod, who built the Tower of Babel and founded the ancient city of Babylon. King Solomon plays an important role as Masons are said to have been the builders of the Great Temple in Jerusalem. No less important is the influence of Gnosticism, sometimes called the Mother of Masonry. According to Masonic historian Albert Mackey, Gnosticism is where Masonry gets the mysterious letter G, as seen here in the midst of the Masonic square and compass, a symbol that often adorns Masonic tombstones.
Known for rejecting the biblical gospels, the Gnostics claimed to be the real Christians, an issue the apostles spoke vehemently against in the New Testament. The Gnostic Gospels have been promoted by writers like Elaine Pagels and celebrities such as Jane Fonda. It was the Gnostic teachings that formed the heart of Dan Brown's blockbuster book, The Da Vinci Code. The Gnostics were known to express a humanistic view of Christ, a view they are said to have exploited for the purpose of justifying their debauchery of women. Hence, the tales of Jesus and his alleged relationship with Mary Magdalene, a view often attributed to the Gnostics and repeated in Brown's controversial book. But Masonry's most popular debates, especially with films like National Treasure and books such as The Da Vinci Code, Born in Blood and Holy Blood, Holy Grail, seem to involve the mysterious Knights Templar whose connection to Freemasonry is often seen at the Rossland Chapel in Scotland's capital city of Edinburgh. A place that not only reveals much about the Templars and Masonry, but within may be secrets to the founding of the New World. But whatever the connection or controversy, most Masons trace their craft back to the mysteries of ancient Egypt. Egypt is like pretty much the proximate fountainhead of all esoteric mystery teaching. After the example of the Egyptian craftsmen, the Masons carved their own imagery in the great structures of Europe. Secret signs and symbols were embedded into their work, the meaning of which was to be hidden from outsiders. These were the craft masons who actually built the temples. If you look at European architecture, you know those, all those big cathedrals in Europe, Cologne Cathedral in Germany, uh, Notre Dame in Paris, Salisbury Cathedral in England, all those beautiful cathedrals were all built around the 1200s and 1300s. And it was these masons who knew their business and they wanted to keep their skills secret. All the great cathedrals of Europe were built by stonemasons who had an understanding of esoteric lore, and they're basically riddles in stone. When masons came to America, they practiced their trade in the same way they had in Europe, embedding secret codes within the design and foundation of the American colonies. Some believe this may account for the geographic location of the five great Revolutionary War cities. In particular, Boston, New York, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. have all been built in perfect alignment along the eastern seaboard. All right, so that is just uh, the first 30-something minutes of this uh documentary series so what i'm going to do is i'm going to post uh, a link to the playlist of these documentaries so you can get more into it but i just wanted to show you how uh the secret societies were behind the revolution of the united states i'm sure some of you if might are probably familiar with a lot of the symbolism the monument the the monolith the shape of the streets in washington dc um, and a lot of the symbols that are in Washington, D.C. already. Um, but this is one of the reasons 
that I think the United States now I think it's a little deeper than that and I'll get into to more of of this that the United States may be the the stepping stone to the final beast but first let's listen to a song called America by Jack Riley and uh, the other guy what's his name the other guy's name is Michael Botman
Once again, that's America by Jack Riley and Michael Botman. I heard about Jack Riley through, he was a manager of the Beach Boys in the early 70s. And uh, yeah, and after he quit with them, he uh, recorded this album, which is very w little known. Like it's, I had to order this online and get it sent to me uh, because I don't think, it's in stores, at least not here. But uh, I, I, musically, it's a beautiful song. I, I think it's kind of interesting because he talks about an all-encompassing plan for America, which uh, makes me wonder if he was referring to this, if he is part of a secret society himself. But who knows? Now, I mentioned that I think the United States is a stepping stone because I, I, I definitely think there's going to be changes as I think they're attempting to do now. The Constitution that we have, which they've kind of ignored anyway, will be replaced with something else. Um, it's, a, you know, when we think about the, the two world wars, you had the first world war led to the League of Nations, the second world war to the United Nations. And we've been having this war on terror now for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, we, we hear talk about the New World Order. And there is now this world governing summit that uh, exists. Um, and you can find, like, the official YouTube channel of them having their, own, their meetings talking about this. Now, it's interesting to note that... The United Nations is set in New York City. And I think um, if you think about the, the revolution of America, how the founding fathers were Freemasons um, and, and there was a plan from the beginning of the building of this country. And if you think about the colonies as Oh, and they call it a great experiment, right? If you think about the colonies as nations and the United Nations as the power of before and um, or the Brit Great Britain was the power of before, the United Kingdom, sorry, the United Kingdom was the power of before. And um, the United States is spreading out military bases all over the world. So it's through the power of the United States that this is happening. But if you look at scripture, the ten horns are ten kings that shall arise up out of the earth. And this is all part of this final beast system. And um, what I'm going to do now is uh, I'm going to read a website now, the Club of Rome, uh, okay, so this website is modernhistoryproject.org, and you kind of have to Google it, uh, but Google, uh, well, you can type that in or just Google Club of Rome 10 Global Regions, and I'm going to read this section here. Um, on September 17, 1973, they released a report called The Regionalized and Adaptive Model of the Global World System, which was prepared by directors Mihajilo Mezorovic and Eduard Pestel 
as part of the Strategy for Survival project. This revealed the club's goal of dividing the world into 10 political economic regions, which would unite the entire world under a single form of government. These regions are North America, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Japan, rest of developed world, Latin America, Middle East, rest of Africa, South and Southeast Africa, and China. The same plan was published in the Club of Rome book called Mankind at the Turning Point in 1975, which said, The solution of these crises can be developed only in global context with full and explicit recognition of the emerging world system and on a long-term basis. This world or this would necessitate, among other changes, a new world economic order and a global resources allocation system. So that's from modernhistoryproject.org. Um, but the resource is Club of Rome. Um, now, I'm going to... Uh, there's another website. If you just do a Google search for 10 global regions. Um, let's see, what is this one? This one is the geographic regions of the world science trends. The first thing that pops up. Uh, and there's a map. Um, I don't know if, you know, if you Google something, will it show the same things? Um, that, that, uh, that I'm pulling up here and that basically says the same thing um, the geographic regions of the world can be divided into 10 regions and it lists them again here there are many ways to organize the world and every single country in it one of the ways in which to do this is by geographic regions um, I'm not sure. This is the science trends. I'm not exactly sure. It almost looks like this is a positive view. Same with the Club of Rome. I mean, they think that this is going to help the world. Um, what are the world regions according to the World Bank? Uh, let me see what this one says here. <clears throat> And again, it just shows a map. And it's very similar to the other one, the way it's divided out. And this is according to the World Bank. Um, how many geographic regions are there in the world? Let's see. Um, scrolling down here. Anyway, you can like, um, you can Google this. End Times Truth. So here's a Christian website. I want to look at this and see what it says. The Ten Regions of the New World Order. The Bible predicts that in the last days, the world would be divided into ten regions, headed up by the Antichrist. Now, I want to, just to be fair, the Bible doesn't specifically say ten regions. Uh, it just says ten kings will rise up out of the earth. Um, but I just... I do think it's interesting that the Club of Rome in 73 
uh, and this is I'm continuing reading here. The Club of Rome in 1973 proposed that the new global order include dividing the world into 10 economic trading blocks. And then it gets more into what those are. Uh, and, you know, the maps have changed over time and all that. But anyway, I, I remember hearing this maybe at least 10 years ago about 10 global regions. Um, Today we are moving towards a new world order that will consist of 10 regions making up all the countries of the world. It appears that the prophecies of the books of Daniel are, and Revelation are coming true in our time. The revealing of the Antichrist as the world leader cannot be far off. So I will leave a link to this, uh, to this website, endtimestruth.com backslash whatever you call that 10 global regions I'll, you know I'll leave that link um, as well but do a Google for 10 global regions or Club of Rome and global regions and you will find that information but I personally theorize and I can't prove it but it's theor theoretical that the 10 kings will be kings of these 10 regions and, um, you know, could it be something else? Sure, it could. <laughs> but realize that the United States set up the United Nations. If the United States did not fund or host the United Nations, I don't know how powerful it would be. The United States has military bases. Uh, now, this is me just talking. I'm not reading anything. The United States uh, has military bases all over the world. So I think it's the power of the U.S. military that is building this United Nations or global regions. Now, the other thing that I would have you that you should look up is and mainly for updates and just to see what they are up to, because you can see them planning the things out these things out on YouTube and the name of this channel is World Government Summit so look that up and there's you know they're posting they've posted videos for years um, but you can see them plotting out a global system global economic system etc um, and it just seems like the things that they are talking about is exactly what the Bible prophesies is going to happen. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in that meeting knows Bible prophecy or that they're part of this uh, secret societies and they know what's happening. I'm sure that, that ideas will be thrown out there in the videos that have nothing to do that probably won't come to pass or, you know, well-meaning people trying to come up with solutions to the world problems, right? And so these are just these are just uh, things to keep in mind because a lot of ideas will be thrown out there, but generally speaking, you can see what they're trying to do. And, you know, I think that they are well-meaning people, but I think they're trying to solve these problems the wrong way, not through 
not by turning to God. Um, and I think a lot of these people there are deceived too. And hopefully many of them come to Christ and, and maybe have heard. And if they, if they see scripture and show, you know, see how the Bible prophesies this is going to happen and who's going to lead it, this system, maybe a lot of them will come to Christ. But I wanted to show you this because it is happening. Now, is it possible that all of this falls apart and the prophecies of the last days are something else that will happen way in the future? Sure. You know, I'm always open to being wrong. Uh, is it possible that the final beast was in the first century as the preterists teach? I don't think so, but okay, sure. <laughs> but even if that, okay, if that is true, uh, let's say the preterist view is true, which I've talked about before. Then the millennium is the, is the church age, according to that view. But at the end of the millennium, there is another global rebellion, which is Gog Magog, that will, you know, Satan will escape the bottomless pit, cause another rebellion, um, and go out to deceive the nations once more. And so if the preterist view is true, or the post-millennial view is true, then maybe that's what is forming now, is this Gog Magog uh last days or end of the millennium rebellion or deception. Uh, but if not, it is the, so either way, there is a something that is occurring. Now, will it succeed? I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm just saying there is this effort for a global government, you know, and it's, you know, I've heard people say this before. I've heard people say, well, people have always thought we're in the last days, even in the first century. And that's true. I mean, Rome was the global power at the time, and I'm sure that they believed that was the final beast. Um, the Roman Catholic Church then was kind of like, uh, was believed to be the, you know, the Pope was believed to be the Antichrist by the reformers and you know every generation has their you know Hitler was many thought he was the Antichrist because he was persecuting the Jews and of course was the mighty scary empire at the time so we got to keep all that in mind but none of those that I've talked about in the past were global the United States itself may not be global but we have military bases all over the world. The most powerful uh, empire, and I'm going to call it an empire, in the history of the world. And looking at the plans by the secret societies um, to use the United States to create the new Atlantis. I mean, all of this put together just seems to point to the United States being... If it's not the United States, it's the stepping stone to the United Nations, which is a stepping stone to the World Governing Summit or the New World Order. And all of this is being put together. So the final beast empire, America slash the United Nations World Governing Summit, 10 global regions, I believe will have the 10 kings. 
Now, one one other thing to point out before we end this episode. The 11th horn, an 11th horn will spring up and subdue three, uproot three, according to uh, Revelation. Uh, I don't have the passage in front of me, but if you go find the 10 horn beast in Revelation, <laughs> sorry, I'm lazy right now. The 11th horn uproots three. And then the other kings bow down to the 11th horn, which I believe is the Antichrist. So these 10 regions will will be put into place if it is the 10 regions. And then I don't know if it's an 11th region or one that um, that wasn't put in place that will uproot three others. I don't know. Well, it's kings, right? These are 10 kings. So it's not necessarily 10. The, the 10 horns are not regions. They're the kings. So it'll be another king that will rise up after the 10 are put in place. That will be the Antichrist. And, um, you know, I have some theories on who I believe the Antichrist might be. And I'm not going to do a whole episode on it, so I'll just spend a, a minute here. Um, uh, f- what was it? 2020. You can look this up. The Abraham Accords. Look it up. Led by Donald Trump. Donald Trump. It, it, the Abraham Accord is basically a peace treaty in the Middle East between Israel and several of the Islamic nations and that is significant because I heard for many years growing up that the Antichrist will uh, lead a covenant with many for seven years now I don't think that the seven years has started yet but there will be a confirmation of it now could it be somebody else sure but um, just several things to consider about Trump um, if you're interested, there's several uh, channels devoted to Trump being the Antichrist. Um, now, it's theoretical. I'm not saying he is. But he was just given the crown of Jerusalem. Um, you know, uh, it seems that now a lot of people that are simple-minded might think, well, he's being shut out. How could he be the Antichrist? But if you really think about it, everything that's happening right now is kind of making him a martyr. And the, the left is so bad, as I stated at the beginning of this po- episode, the left is just so bad and so ridiculous that people and, and things are just getting out of control. And so people are going to be looking for this hero. You know, Trump... Um, I'm not a Trump supporter. I never was. Um, He did bring peace treaties with Russia or, you know, he had more peaceful talks with Russia and um, some of our other, you know, North Korea and China. And they seem to respect him in a way that they don't respect Biden. And uh, and to be able to do something with the Middle East that hadn't been done before um and i think the confirmation of the covenant will be even better but he's a guy to keep an eye on as the 11th horn or the antichrist 
And just a theory. I'm not saying he is. But keep your eyes open. Do not be deceived. Be aware. You know, read the scripture. Pray. Endure to the end. Don't worship a false image. <laughs> That's a key. Like if you're, first of all, if you're not a believer in Christ, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. He is the only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. Believe in him and what he did for you on the cross for, for salvation. That's number one. If you are a, a believer in Jesus, you will not take the mark of the beast. Because in order to take the mark of the beast, you will have to worship a false image. Now, is that going to happen soon? I think it might. But even if it doesn't, don't worship a false image. Pray, read your scripture to know truth the best that you can. Lead other people to Christ. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? The first thing Jesus said was, do not be deceived. That's in Matthew 24. So, largely, I will admit, this episode has been theoretical. But I think that there's a whole lot of coincidences in here. Uh, anyway, that, that'll be the end of this episode. But uh, um, in, coming next will be the woman that rides the beast, also known as Mystery Babylon. So we will discuss that in the next episode. Thank you all and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Rob, go for instruction. What? Oh, man.